Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, an eight-week journey designed to help you develop a deeply rooted spirituality in Christ. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. There's so much more to your story than what's on the surface. God is calling you to dive deeper, to see how your joys, losses, dreams, and experiences have shaped you. What will the Holy Spirit speak to your soul? through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. All right, what's up, church? Hey, let's give a big welcome to all our live locations, Church Online. Great to see you guys. Hey, before we jump into week four of our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, little update. I want a little housekeeping. I have two dates for you to mark down. The first is next Sunday, October 31st. It's the grand opening of our new campus in Princeton, New Jersey. Let's hear from Mercer County. So exciting. Um, Our teams have been hard at work for the last few months painting the building, installing technology, upgrading the classrooms. And next Sunday, we're opening the doors for services at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. So if you live in Mercer County, maybe you got friends in the Princeton area, invite them. Grand opening on Halloween, all right? Now, Liquid Family is actually hosting a thing called Candy Palooza. Um, kids can come to church in costumes, I guess, and get candy. It's at all the campuses. And it's just going to be a super fun day as we worship in our new modern cathedral. It's only 10 minutes from Princeton University. I cannot wait for you to see it. So can I ask you just please be praying this week, church. Be praying for Pastor Aaron and the Princeton team as they get ready to reach new people for Christ at the grand opening next Sunday. Uh, secondly, fall baptism is happening on Sunday, November 21st at all other campuses. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've never been baptized, man, this is your next step of obedience. Uh, Did you know this? Jesus himself was baptized and he told disciples that I want you to be baptized publicly to declare their devotion to him. So this is really an important mile marker in your journey with Jesus. And you can sign up online, liquidchurch.com slash baptism. Get baptized at your campus on the 21st of November. We roll out the holy hot tubs, okay? And it's just a great way to publicly celebrate your commitment to Christ. Now, today we're diving into uh, week four of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality with a very profound topic, uh, Journey Through the Wall. Now, this is one of my favorite weeks, but it's a challenging one, all right? So I just want to encourage you, because I know God's speaking to many of you. We've heard from so many people who are loving the daily devotions, the, the small group discussions, the stillness and silence. We're actually getting some exciting reports of people receiving real fresh revelation from God. One woman said, you know what? God's showing me that I'm more Martha than Mary. <laughs> Anybody identify? I care too much about appearances and need to set aside my pride and insecurities. Another wrote, I'm beginning to realize that I can break cycles of generational dysfunction. I'm not required to live a certain way because that's how my family lives, okay? Amen, all right? God's breaking chains. And then someone told me this week, Tim, I had a serious breakthrough. Through EHS, God helped me see my job is someone else's dream and not mine. Wow, isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be funny if her boss is here and she's like, tomorrow's like, I quit. That, <laughs> I just kidding. But, but these things do impact us in real life. So I want you to encourage you. God's speaking. 
people are beginning to see how, man, some of the, the beliefs and patterns I've been living out of are false, and that God has more freedom for me. There's a healthier way to live with Christ the center. Amen? So I want to encourage you, because I understand last week was heavy, wasn't it? Can we just acknowledge that, man? When you talk about trauma and like earthquake events, um, for me, this is my fourth time through this discipleship course. And the truth is, people often drop out after week four. You know why? Because they're like, man, it's just, I don't, it's hard, Tim. It's painful going under the iceberg, you know, looking at our false self and our family origin. And nowadays we're going to talk about hitting the wall. Let me just encourage you, trust the process. Trust God. He has more to show you as you follow Jesus under the iceberg. And remember, this is slow drip discipleship. A lot of churches won't get into this stuff because it's just messy and it's hard. But I believe that this church wants to go deeper. Say amen if you agree. Who wants to go deeper, yeah? We don't want to just skim the surface spiritually. Our name is liquid. We want to dive deep and experience the transforming love of God at a soul level. So today we're going to talk about journeying through the wall. Quick show of hands, all our campuses. Who here has ever hit a wall in your life? Light up the chat at church online. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, you're just kind of walking along. All of a sudden, wham, you walk straight into a wall. And you're like, what the heck? You hit your head. It's painful. It's no fun. Uh, the reality is every serious Christian will at some point hit a wall in her journey with Jesus. In other words, a crisis will come. You lose your job. A cancer diagnosis a betrayal of a friend, a divorce. Something unexpected leaves us scratching our head. Our world gets turned upside down. We think, God, what are you, what's up with this? It doesn't fit our grid of who we think God is, and he's not answering our prayers. And so you feel stuck or spiritually dry, not very close to God. Did that ever happen to anybody? It's happened to me, okay? I'm your pastor. It's actually a normal part of the Christian life. And when we hit a wall, all our instincts, right, are just go, past it, right? We're kind of like, let me go around it. I want to jump over it or avoid it at all, all costs if possible. But today I want to talk about how holding Jesus's hand and journeying through the wall together is actually a key part of growing up in Christ. It's how the Father reveals his love in a dark season of your life that couldn't happen any other way. And our model for this is Abraham. Abraham is the great-grandfather of Joseph. We looked at him last week. But 14 chapters of Genesis are devoted to Abraham's life. And let me tell you something, man. Abraham's trust of God, it's like unmatched in all of Scripture. In fact, Jews, Christians, Muslims all named their children after Abraham, the patriarch. But life wasn't easy for him. Abraham had a lot of walls in his walk with God. In fact, Abraham's first wall is Genesis 12 when God calls him to get up and leave his family, leave his home, his country, his people. And God says, just go to a land I'll show you. God doesn't tell him where. He just says, trust me, take my hand, follow me. And so Abraham sets out, and the Bible says, not knowing where he's going, which is the walk of faith, right? Second wall Abraham hits is a struggle with infertility. Any couples struggle with this? God promises that Abraham and his wife Sarah will be father and mother of a lot of nations. There's just one problem. Sarah can't have kids. They can't conceive. If you've ever hit that wall as a couple, you know, man, it just breaks your heart. And that wall goes on for 25 years. It must have been like, how's God's dream going to come true for us? So Abraham takes things into his own hands. He ends up having a baby with a servant named Hagar, and he runs smack into, bam, wall number three. He has to send his son Ishmael away. It breaks up his family, which must have been confusing and painful for everyone. And that brings us to our text today, Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham hits the hardest, most difficult wall of all as God asks him to sacrifice his miracle child, Isaac. Everyone say Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's miracle baby. 
the son given by God when he's 100 years old and his wife Sarah is 90. <laughs> and this is one of the hardest passages of Scripture. I just got to warn you, okay? This is one of those like, what? Like you read it and you go, what is this all about? Why would God ask someone to go through all this? They waited decades to have their miracle baby Isaac. And you want Abraham to sacrifice him? Let's read this Genesis 22 in your Bible and see what we can learn about journeying through walls. It says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Everyone say tested. tested. Notice sometimes God will test people that he loves. He said to him, Abraham, notice when you come to a wall, he'll call you by name. Jermaine, Jose, Jimmy, Karen, Kristen, Kyra. He's getting your attention. It says this, here I am, Abraham replied. So Abraham's like, I'm here. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Underline that. On a mountain, I will show you. And let's be honest. This is impossible for us to imagine, guys. Like, I had a hard time processing this this week because I couldn't help but think of my son and my daughter. And honestly, I said, if God said that to me, I could never do it. <laughs> right? I'll just be honest. I'd be like, first I'd be like, this can't be God speaking. Like, slay your own child as a sacrifice? No way. Imagine Abraham. God, why would you give me what my heart desires only to cruelly take it away? Now listen carefully. In the ancient world, only pagan nations practiced human sacrifice. And God actually condemns it as a, a, a wicked sin. It's, it's, it's immoral. God never condones child sacrifice in the Bible. So this is strange. This is weird. It's out of character with the God that Abraham knows. But give Abraham credit, he obeys. Verse 3 says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Hey, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then we'll worship and then we will come back to you. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Like, can you guys, like, imagine this? Like, just kind of, like, think of how this goes. Abraham's like, all right, son, come on. We're going on a road trip today. Here, yeah, go ahead. You carry the wood, okay? And, uh, I've got the knife. And at this point, I was just like, uh, where are we going, Dad? Like, you're like, well, you'll see. You know Isaac's like, what's up? <laughs> because verse 7 says, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, he said, Father, yes, my son, um, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac ain't stupid, right? Like, <laughs> He's seen his dad make burnt offerings before. A burnt offering was simply how God's people worshipped the Lord in the Old Testament. They'd actually build an altar. It was something like this, on a lot bigger scale. But I think you guys, they would take the wood, and they'd actually build an altar on which they were going to kill an animal, and they would roast it, and that was the burnt offering. So they'd make kind of a pyre like this, you get the idea, of wood. And then they take a lamb that was innocent, this is the hard part, slit its throat and chop it into pieces, put it on the fire, and they said, this is our offering to God. Now, this is interesting. The Hebrew word for burnt offering literally means to go up in smoke. 
The smoke ascended to God like an, like an incense or a tribute. And it was really an offering of atonement, this acknowledgement that like, God, I'm sinful and I want a renewed relationship with you. You're a holy God. But this is how people connected with God and worshiped in the Old Testament. So Isaac has seen this thing before, you know what I'm saying? And he's like, Dad, I see the wood. I see your fire. I see your knife. But can I just ask a minute? The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb? Okay, <laughs> like Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9 says, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on this altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife, this is impossible to imagine, to slay his son. Isn't that upsetting? Honestly, this passage trips up a lot of people who are new to Christian faith. Like, they're like, what kind of loving God would ask a parent to sacrifice his son? Is this some sort of, like, cruel test? Imagine what Abraham's feeling at this moment. Dread, fear, despair. Let me show you a famous painting. This is a Rembrandt. It's called The Sacrifice of Isaac. It's oil on canvas. And it kind of captures the climax. You see the terrified look on Abraham's face. Isaac's head is back, his throat exposed, and Abraham's hands, keep it up. His hands kind of tremble, you can kind of see, as he's, as he's raising the knife to do the deed. But it says, an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your what? Your son, your only son. And so Abraham drops the knife. And imagine cradling his son Isaac, my son. And verse 13 says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, in worship, we sing a song called Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. It's Hebrew. It actually means the Lord will provide, and it comes straight from this passage. And if you didn't see it already, I know some of you picked this up. Do you notice there's a parallel here between the ram being offered on the altar as a substitute for Isaac and Christ being offered on the cross as a substitute for you? This is a profound mystery, my friends, but God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his own son, but he would not spare his own son, Jesus, from dying for you. Think about that. On the cross, God provided what was needed to save your life. God told Abraham, the Lord will provide, and the Lord has provided for you and me. Amen? So in the most important way, this encounter foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, understand something about the Lord. God will never ask you to do something he isn't willing to do himself. Your God isn't safe. He's good, but he's not safe. Understand, God didn't want Isaac to die, but watch this. He wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart. So it would be clear that Abraham loved God more than he loved even his long-awaited miracle child. 
God was testing Abraham. Remember that word testing? Not to trip him up, watch him fail, but to deepen his capacity to trust, to strengthen his character and reveal God's ability to provide for him. So here's a question for you. Look at this altar. In this season, what might God be asking you to sacrifice in your heart? You know, a lot of times we talk about sin and I, I got to get rid of the lust or this in my life or whatever. I'm talking about sacrificing something that isn't necessarily bad that actually might be a good gift from God. But over time, that gift or blessing has grown larger in your heart than your love for Jesus alone. Maybe it's become the object of, of your affection, unhealthy attachment that God says, I, I want to free you from that. And I'm going to let that question simmer just for now. I'm going to put it back up on the screen. In this season, what might God be asking you to sacrifice in your heart? Just stew on that question. Let it crockpot for a minute. See, to make sense of the Christian life, that is becoming more like Jesus, you have to understand the Christian life is a journey. Think of all that a journey involves, right? There's movement and action. There's, there's stops and starts. There's detours and delays, trips into the unknown where we, we feel lost. We're not sure what God is doing. And as a Christ follower, you're on a journey to become like Jesus, and so am I. And it's helpful to identify how God leads us through different stages of faith. So I want to show you something that we call the Christ journey. And it shows how Christians typically progress through six stages in our discipleship to be more like Jesus. Now, this is an adaptation, my adaptation, of the work of writers like Janet Hagberg, Pete Scazzaro, and Bill and Christy Galter. But each letter of the Christ journey, C-H-R-I-S-T, represents a stage. The first stage of your journey is C, confidence in Christ. It's the starting point when a new Christian is born. In other words, someone reads the Bible or they hear a salvation message, they realize for the first time who Jesus is, and their need for, for God's love and, and forgiveness, it hits their heart in, in a fresh way for the first time. Last week, some of you prayed to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior. That was the first step of your journey. Your next step is to get baptized. Let people know, hey, I've got confidence in Christ. First stage of the Christian journey. But then you progress to the second stage, the H, and you get help from others. See, new Christians typically start attending a local church family. God sets us in a family. We start making friends because Christianity isn't a solo sport. Your maturity in Christ requires help from your brothers and sisters in community. So here at Liquid, you join a small group with other believers. You start reading the Bible, praying with other Christians, learning to walk with God. You, you practice the building blocks of faith. And then stage three, R, stands for role in ministry. This is where you start serving other people, right? The Bible says God gave every Christian a unique gift to build up the church. And in this stage, you start identifying your gifts, your, your talents. You start serving others in ministry. Again, here at Liquid, maybe you join a dream team. Now you've got this role in ministry, a responsibility to others. You help set up the stage or welcome new guests. You care for kids or you pour coffee or you mentor a teen. And you're developing a heart for actively serving others, which is awesome. But notice something. These first three stages of the Christ journey describe our discipleship pathway at Liquid. Put it up on the screen. Sometimes we'll say, come, connect, contribute. And the idea is you come to church, you put your confidence in Christ, you connect in a small group and help from others, you contribute on a dream team, you've got a role in ministry. Those are the first three stages that almost all churches focus on. And most Christians start growing in Christ and making progress in their journey until they hit the wall, like Abraham did. Everyone say the wall. At some point, almost every Christian hits a wall in her journey with Jesus. As Pete Scazzaro writes, he says, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that kind of turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a, a divorce 
or a, or a job loss or, or death of a close friend or family member or cancer diagnosis. You know, you have a bad church experience or a betrayal or a shattered dream. Maybe you have a, a challenging child or, 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 or infertility or, or, or you have, you know, your deep desire to marry but it remains unfulfilled and, and there's a spiritual dryness or, or you just lose joy in your relationship with God. And when that happens, we start to question our faith, don't we? We actually start to question God. We start to question the church. For the first time, we suspect, you know what? Maybe this faith thing doesn't work the way I thought it did. You have more questions than answers as the, the whole foundation of your faith feels shaken. You don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's going to get you there, or when it's going to be over. It's like Abraham walking up that mountain, man. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody been through a wall like that? Maybe I know some of you are like, well, I don't really know. I'm kind of in a smooth season of sailing. I'm just warning you, get ready, okay? You take notes, put it in the back of your Bible for later, okay? <laughs> I remember when I, uh, my whole family, we hit the wall with my dad's cancer diagnosis. He was 59 years old and it just boosh, shattered the illusion of invincibility. I literally was like, God, why would you let this happen? My father was a righteous man who loved God. He faithfully served his church and family. And when that cancer diagnosis happened, I just like, I, I couldn't understand it because it revealed my underlying belief that good people get blessed. So we prayed. We prayed for his full healing, but it never came. He had a partial remission up and down for 15 years, living with a cancer we knew would take his life one day. But through that wall, our family learned something about God's character that we wouldn't learn any other way, that his grace was sufficient day by day. And even in dark moments, we could still trust God was good and he was still loving. Understand something. There's a big difference between walls and trials. You guys know what trials are, right? Trials are like the stuff of everyday life. Trials are like the traffic jams, your annoying boss, or, you know, your flight gets delayed, you catch the flu, you twist your ankle. That's a trial. But walls are different. They strike at the level of soul. Walls are David fleeing a jealous King Saul for 13 years, hiding in a cave in the desert, okay? Walls are, are Job, who loses his 10 children, his health, and his possessions in a single day. Walls are the 11 disciples <laughs> staring at Jesus on the cross, watching their Savior suffer and just shaking their heads saying, I don't understand. Why would God let this happen to his son? Did we get this something wrong? They couldn't imagine what God was planning three days later. All they could see was the wall. There's a 16th century book. It's a classic. It's called The Dark Night of the Soul by John of the Cross. And the main idea is that dark nights or walls is the method that God uses to rewire and transform us to become more like Jesus. So when you go through a dark night of the soul, what happens is right, all those good feelings that we have of God's presence just kind of, boom, evaporate. You feel like the door of heaven, shut in your face when you pray. You feel dry, empty. You can't see what God's doing, and there's no, like, visible fruit in your life. But here's the deal. Under the iceberg, under the surface, John says, God's doing a much deeper work. Through that crisis at the wall, God is rewiring and purging our affections, cleansing our palate so that we develop a pure taste for the unfiltered love of God. Because, let's be honest, most of us, find more pleasure in the blessings of God than God himself. <laughs> and so the dark night of the soul strips us 
of unhealthy attachments and idols. So we, we crave Christ's love alone. It's very painful. It's very humbling. Dark night of the soul. Spiritual classic. Worth your time if you want to dive deeper. But I want to keep this real and show you how the wall looks in real life. So I invited one of my very, very favorite staff friends, Kristen Flynn, to come out and share her experience with the wall. Would you give a big welcome to our outreach director, Kristen Flynn? What up, girl? So glad you came. Please, please join me. Join me. Kristen, I need you guys to know this. Kristen's like a sister to me, and, and I want to say th this is a sensitive story. Um, Kristen is going through a difficult divorce right now. It's a wall that she didn't want or and desperately prayed, I know, to, to avoid. Um, but we've been through EHS together a couple of times now, and I've just been blown away, Kristen, how Jesus is very tenderly leading you through this wall, and, and she was generous enough to share a slice of her story with us. So Kristen, first, thank you. Uh, I feel like you're kind of taking out the, the tea set, the fine china of your life, so thank you for that. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you guys met and, and what led to this wall in your marriage? Yeah, sure. Um, so my spouse and I met about 10 years ago. Um, we were married for seven, um, but about, about around year four and five, um, we were facing fertility issues, and it caused a lot of tension and revealed a lot of underlying problems which rose to the surface. Um, we tried to get counseling from friends, from professionals. Um, however, it was around this time last year that um, my wall had become insurmountable. Um, you see, before getting to this place, I was desperately trying to hold on, keep it together, keep myself together, and I was going to scale this wall by sheer willpower. Um, I knew there were areas in our marriage that needed work, but I thought we were working on them, and I thought if I just, I just needed to be faithful and loving and that it would all work out. But my husband made the decision um, that marriage was not for him and the cost of that commitment was not worth it for him. This is the beginning of me noticing I was up against an unmovable wall. That is very, very hard, incredibly difficult, very personal. How did that affect you on the inside? Yeah, um, I put my head down and I started working a lot. I tried to stay busy um, and push through. I know for quite some time that my uh, doing for God radically outpaced my time with God, but I figured I'd get back in balance after the holidays. I just needed to get through a couple of events that I was leading. And looking back, I realized um, I was really trying to rationalize away the pain um, and the reality just over and over every day. Um, I tried to stay busy and distract myself to help keep the pain and worries below the surface and not hitting home. I, I remember you put on a very, you know, brave face, but, and, and most people do in that situation, but that wasn't really reality, right? So what, so what was going on under the iceberg, on the, on the inside? Yeah, um, the reality was I was drowning. <laughs> I was depressed. I felt totally abandoned by the person I expected to spend the rest of my life with. And I was exhausted, um, desperately fearful to let anyone know what was really going on. And I felt an, a paralyzing amount of shame. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and th thank you again, just that you're willing to bear your soul. What a, thank you. Um, how, how did those struggles in your marriage impact your view of God? Yeah, um, I never really questioned um, that God was with me. I actually knew he was, um, but it added to my confusion and my frustration. I just couldn't see him at work. I remember crying and sobbing and pleading with God to please change my husband's heart to save our marriage. And when he didn't, my question was, what was going on and how did I get this so wrong? Um, when things just didn't continue to go the way I was hoping, um, 
I just started wondering why wasn't God coming through and where was the breakthrough for us and where was the breakthrough for me? Um, at that time, I didn't realize that the breakthrough I was so desperate for was on the other side of this wall and on the other side of my surrender. And I wanna be clear, like he didn't change my husband's heart. He still went through the, with the divorce, which is heartbreaking. Um, and the journey through the wall was really difficult. The dark night of the soul describes it perfectly. Um, but I was so desperate not to stay in the same place I was spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I had to let go and trust God into this unknown place of surrender. That is, that is this is, guys, this is one of the hardest, this idea of surrendering to God. So difficult, especially in an area that's so incredibly personal. Can you describe what was going through your mind at the time? Yeah, um, as my marriage was coming apart, um, I was still clinging for control, um, but things were quickly slipping out of my grasp, which left me anxious, fearful, and super protective of my family. No one knew what was going on, um, and the loss and grief of my shattered dream was overwhelming. What would people think as of me as a Christian leader just kept on replay in my mind over and over. Yeah, yeah of course, fear of judgment and Again, so many of us can relate to this. Can, can, can you relate? So give us some hope here, Christian. What is, what is God teaching you? What's he revealing as you, you're trusting Jesus, taking his hand, going through this wall? Are you on the other side yet? Um, I would say my journey through the wall has been a process, <laughs> and I don't think God is done yet. <laughs> However, my heart and my spirit have begun, begun to heal, um, but it's going to take time. I see it as if God's started to plant these little seeds, and they're slowly taking root and just coming out of the surface. I see this in the way my heart and my mind are more at peace and more still. Incredible. What's, what's different for you now? Like when you look at it, what's changed in your life on the other side? Yeah, I would say the biggest change that I've been able to notice is just when I'm triggered with anxiety or self-doubt, my response to choose trust is getting faster. I don't feel the need to understand before I can trust and surrender to God. There's more of this appreciation of the awareness and the holy unknowing that God is for me and he's at work, even when the outcome I can't see it or the outcome seems uncertain. Um, that's been hard for me, <laughs> whereas before, on the other side of the wall, I would just scratch and claw for control. I think this is so critical, guys, because we're talking about Abraham and, and, and the idea that on the other side of the wall is God saying, I want to reveal my character to you in a new way. I want to provide. The Lord provides for us in the dark night of the soul, but in a way we didn't expect. So um, put it this way, what, what new thing do you sense that God might be trying to birth in you? Yeah, um, God is transforming my mind. <laughs> um, I'm learning, and I'm learning to move slowly, which is very hard for me. <laughs> um, but allow him to guide and reveal things to me. For instance, previously I found my value and worth in what I did. If I had an idea and someone didn't like it, I took it very personally. I was unable to differentiate between the idea and my identity. In the absence of my husband's love, God is renewing my heart with a reminder of his love for me. It's not, what, it's not for what I do. That, that, I need that one too, man. That, that is so, our identity is so connected, particularly in America, to what we do. Yeah. So how, how is that, um, I mean, that's, it's difficult though too, because there's a severing there. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the, the thought of being uh, alone. Yeah, the thought of being alone was extremely overwhelming. Um, however, on the other side of the wall, um, I'm learning to pause, to be with God and create space to listen and feel his delight as his daughter. I've learned to take one day at a time, and this has really taken root in my heart. And when I pause in these moments, God reminds me over and over that I have enough grace, enough manna, enough mercy for today. And then I can trust him with tomorrow. Man, that, that is, that is, guys, write that down. Chris, I am, um, I'm blown away by how you are choosing the road less taken, which is trusting Jesus to transform your heart through this wall. Um, you know, as we end, is there, is there a way we can specifically pray for you? Yeah. Pastor Tim, my biggest prayer um, is that I never go back. Um, I want my mind and my heart to continually be renewed and built and rooted in these foundational truths and rewiring that God is doing through this journey of the wall. Um, and that I know that God can be trusted and, be, and provide even when I can't understand it or I don't see it. Yeah. Well, let's do this right now. Would you guys just kind of Reach out your hand wherever you are. Let's just pray for Kristen and, and so many people she represents. Jesus, I just, I thank you for my dear sister Kristen and for your faithfulness in her life, Jesus. We thank you for just tenderly holding her heart and providing fresh grace every day. Father, we know she represents hundreds, if not thousands of people in this church family who are facing walls we didn't want or choose. But Lord, I just thank you for Christian's cho Kristen's choice just to lead in. And, and seek your face, God, instead of, you know, growing bitter or resentful, which would just be easy to do. Holy Spirit, I ask, would you continue the deep work of healing her heart and renewing her mind? And I pray the same for every man and woman listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank Kristen, thank you. Can we thank Kristen for sharing her story with us? What, thank you for that. Absolutely, incredibly brave. And guys, just put your soul out there. I know some of you could sit in this chair and share a similar story. The, the details would be different. But there's things in all our lives that just cause us to question, like, God, what, why would you allow this or even ask this of me? You know, maybe you have a child with special needs. And you're like, it's no picnic, man. I face the wall every day. I was talking with a friend whose teenage daughter is going through a really hard time. They've tried therapy, medication. And he's like, there's no easy answers. And I saw him the other day. I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, well, Tim, he said, I'm living the dream. Remember, even nightmares are a dream. <laughs> That's real. As your pastor, I just want to let you know, our church is here for you. We are here for you, especially in the hard stuff. I hope you can see, we don't shy away from the messy parts of the Christian journey. In fact, I really believe this is where God does some of his deepest work, guys. When God tested Abraham with the sacrifice of Isaac, he must have carried that knife up that mountain the way Jesus carried his cross, with fear and dread. But what happened? God spoke. The angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. I'm not here to harm you. Don't do anything to him. But now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your what? Your only son. God said, I didn't bring the wall, but I allowed this to test or reveal what was really in your heart. Were you following me just when I brought blessings to your life? Or are you following me for me? This is a question for all of us. Do we actually follow the crucified Christ or just the blessings that flow from him? Because God wants to grow up a childish faith to an Abraham-level faith so that you'll actually follow God even when you're in a crisis. I want you to think of it this way, guys. To be tested by God in this way is actually a compliment. Did you know that? 
It's a privilege. Abraham is called the father of all of us in Romans chapter 4. In other words, his journey of faith is similar to what we'll all go through in following Jesus. So I'm just telling you, there's going to be time where you don't know where God is, what he's allowing in your life, and and how you're going to get through it. But your work at the wall is to do what Abraham did, what Kristen is doing. It's to press in, to persevere, and actually be patient, and surrender, and stick with Jesus, even when everything inside you wants to throw in the towel. You know, Abraham was 110 years old when God said, sacrifice Isaac. 110. If I were him, I would have been like, haven't I been through enough, God? But the number one issue we confront the wall comes down to this. Is it my will or is it God's will? It's about surrender. Can I trust God even when he doesn't answer my prayer the way I think he should? What's amazing to me about Abraham is he doesn't argue with God. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't actually start deconstructing his faith, which is super fashionable right now for disillusioned Christians. Instead, when God asks Abraham to let go of something he deeply loves, something that he's clinging to, Abraham opens his clenched fists and surrenders. Because even though I don't understand what's happening, I still trust God can provide, that he'll use this somehow for my good and his glory. And what's the result? Abraham breaks through his wall and experiences this deeper firsthand intimacy with Christ. That's what's waiting on the other side of your wall, an invitation to encounter God through an inner journey. Again, if you go back to the Christ journey, you'll see stage four is this invitation on the other side of the wall to an inner journey, deeper intimacy and union with Christ. The first three stages are mainly external, right? It's stuff we do to grow in Christ. But stage four is what God does inside us. It moves beyond the surface sanctification to a deeper work of the soul and helps you experience the Father's love in the middle of your pain, confusion, uncertainty. We start growing in self-awareness. We start shedding false layers living out of our true identity in Christ. You know something sad? Some researchers say 85% of Christians are right here, stuck at the wall in their discipleship. That's where a lot of them grow disillusioned, question God. Well, if he loved me, why isn't he blessing me? You walk away from faith of the church or simply settle for a lukewarm faith. Like, I guess this is as good as it gets. But it's the rare person like Kristen, like Abraham, who receive it as a gracious invitation for God to go deeper with Jesus, to look under their iceberg and experience his love at a deeper substrat level of soul. This is advanced placement faith, friends. <laughs> God's purpose behind the wall is to bring you to the end of yourself, strip you of yourself while and surrender fully to him. That's stage five, when you fully surrender to the spirit. And in this stage, we stop worshiping a fake God of our own making. You know a lot of American Christians worship a fake God? Yeah, I love God. God's job is to bless me, serve me, make my dreams come true. He's like my personal assistant. That is false, immature, shallow theology. In the surrender stage, the Holy Spirit is not just like, let me restrain your sin, keep you from doing this. He's ripping up your self-will by the roots. He says, I'm going to replace it with the life of Jesus Christ. Remember, Christian has a cruciform faith. There's a new life waiting, but it's on the other side of the cross. So in this stage, we learn to pray Jesus' prayer of surrender at the garden. Not my will, but what? Yours be done, God. Even if it involves a cross. And we release the outcome to him. Total surrender. We stop worshiping a health and wealth God and meet the real God of the Bible who asked Abraham to sacrifice his son in the Old Testament and that did it himself in the new. Now understand, 
The wall is not a one-time event that you pass and get through. <laughs> like, whew, I'm glad I passed my wall, Tim. <laughs> and it seems to be something we face multiple times as part of God's ongoing refinement of us. Now, I told you I hit my first wall in 2009 when I had my first brush with burnout. And looking back, it was a painful season of soul searching, but I look at it now as a gift because it radically changed my priorities. It reoriented my life around family. But here's what's interesting right now. I had my second brush with burnout in 2019. Isn't that interesting? Ten years apart, two walls, 2009, 2019, same theme. I'm still processing what God is trying to teach me about my tendency to overwork in stressful seasons. Because I know God's trying to rip up my anxious striving and replace it with learning to just rest in Jesus' love and live free. When things get stressful, Tim, you got to let go. It is literally up to God, not you. It's up here. I'm trying to get it in here. This surrender stage is the hardest stage for American Christians to embrace. It's Galatians 2.20. It describes the goal of your life. Ready? Here it is. Paul says, I've been what? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. We let God's spirit crucify our pride, our ego, our need for control, people pleasing, and we're just going to follow God's will wherever he leads because that's where true freedom is found. Amen? Too many Christians ask the question, am I happy? That's the wrong question. The question is, am I free? Happiness is based on happenings, but freedom is found in Christ alone. The final stage is when you're transformed by love, and and I don't know that we'll ever quite get to this, but this is the moment where the perfect love of God has just driven all fear out of your life. You you just know in your knower. You know how you know in your knower something? That you can trust Jireh to provide in every circumstance. You you have journeyed with Jesus through hell and back, the dark night of salt, and he's been faithful. And you realize love is actually the beginning and the end of your whole journey. And so your default posture in life, it's no longer power and, and control. It's surrender. Total obedience to God, whatever you will. Now this final stage is ongoing. It will never be finished on earth. Only once we're finally home with Jesus, see him face to face, the Bible says, we would truly become as he is. Now understand something. This doesn't mean you become a monk or some sort of superhero Christian. But in these advanced stages of discipleship, you may actually go back and do some of the same external activities you did before, like leading a small group or using your gifts to serve other people. But the difference is that you now give, not out of guilt or duty or muscle memory, but from a deeply rooted, anchored place in Christ. You're just so aware of of, of the Father's tender love for you. And out of that overflow, I can give myself away to others and not be resentful. In this stage, you're doing for Jesus truly comes from the overflow of your being with him. Amen? That's the Christ journey in a nutshell. So take a look at it. And I wonder, where are you on this journey? Just take a look at this. Where would you put yourself today in this season? I mean, we move in and out of stages. They're fluid. They're not fixed. But if you had to locate yourself on this today, like a spiritual map, you are here where are you on this journey? Maybe you're at C, confident in Christ, and you're just starting your journey with Jesus. That's awesome. Or H, you, you joined a, a small group. You're getting help from others. Or many of you are at R, right? You have a, a role in ministry. You're actively serving. Guys, that's awesome. I, it's wonderful. I celebrate that. But I just want to warn you, don't be surprised if at some point you hit a wall in your journey with Jesus, and it happens to all of us. But God can use it to transform you from the inside out if you let him. 
So don't do what I do. I just want to say, well, I dropped my shoulder. I'm going to power through this thing. I have seen a ton of people who hit the wall and they bounce off. You know why? Because they're like, I am refusing to surrender. I cannot learn the lesson God has for me. And the results ain't pretty. Typically cause a lot of pain long term. Disillusionment with God, ongoing immaturity, and it hurts people around them. So here's my advice as your pastor. Receive the wall for the gift that it is. God is testing you like he tested Abraham. It's a compliment. It's a sign of his love. Hebrews says God disciplines those he loves. He's treating you like sons and daughters. So understand, you could go try to go around it. You could try to avoid it. But for transformation to occur, God must lead you through it. And when Jehovah Jireh carries you to the other side of that wall, he's going to give you gifts. He's going to give you fresh revelation. You're going to read about them this week in the book. Here are three quickies. First is he's going to give you a greater level of brokenness. People have been through a wall are, are broken people. We, we've actually given up the illusion that we have control and power over life. And so we have greater empathy for people who are suffering, right? Because we've been there. You're, you're less quick to judge other people. You're more quick to have mercy because you just get the role of grief and loss expands your soul. You get a deeper ability to wait on God. The wall purges out of us that, that deep, stubborn desire to run ahead of God. I got to make things happen. You can't. Abraham learned to wait at the wall. 75 years old, you're going to be the father of nations. He waits a decade, 11 years. He's like, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. He births Ishmael through, through his maidservant. Guess what? God says, sit down and wait another 14 years before Isaac is even born. The wall will teach you how to slow down like nothing else. You have to wait on God's time. You don't have a choice. And you learn to be patient with slow drip discipleship. And it'll give you a greater detachment from the world. In our journey with Jesus, we sometimes get attached, literally nailed to certain habits and things, people in unhealthy ways. For example, I, I let, so many things in my, my life I'm attached to. I, I'm attached to my, my wife, Colleen. I'm attached to my kids. I'm attached to my home. I, I'm attached to this church, my health. And like you, I rarely realize just how attached I am until God removes that thing. <laughs> then the power struggle begins, right? I say, no, no, God, I must, I, must, I must have new boots this fall to be happy. And God says, you don't need new boots. You need me. <laughs> the wall breaks your addiction to, to, to material things as well as Addiction to approval and achievement and people-pleasing. Ways your false self just get peeled away so the Spirit of Christ can emerge out of you. Remember, God's purpose isn't to kill you at the wall. It's to call you out of bondage so you can enter a free and loving union with Christ in your journey. That's the reward Abraham received in the end. After passing God's test, I'll end with this. Do you know what the Lord told Abraham? <laughs> he said, I swear, because of what you did, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through your kids, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have, say it together, church, you have obeyed me. God wants you to obey so you can be blessed. He wants to bless your children. He wants to bless your family, future generations, even nations through your life. So if you'll take Jaira's hand when you hit that wall, you release control, you truly surrender, and you ask this question, what new thing is God trying to birth in me? Do you know what could happen to you? You might just grow up into what this church needs most, spiritual fathers and mothers who can mentor the next generation. Make no mistake, the next generation, man, 
millennials, Z, desperate. They're desperate for mature guides for their Christ journey. Fathers and mothers who can help look at their story, share their experience going through walls with God, and guide them along their journey. And guys, that's the, this is the deeper journey I think God's calling liquid to in a post-COVID world. Because guys, this is a pastor. When I look around, people are hurting. They're raw. They're confused, disoriented, and angry. I think COVID exposed a very, very shallow discipleship in the church at large. So this is a challenge for longtime believers. Those of you who've walked with Christ a while, I'm calling you out. We need you to engage on this for the sake of generations to come. Think about this. Maybe it's the last quarter of your life. Instead of a shallow Christianity that just kind of fizzles out or, or ends poorly, you become a spiritual father, a spiritual mother of depth and substance who can love, coach, and mentor younger believers through their walls. My friends, there is more to Christianity than skinny jeans and smoke machines. We need spiritual fathers and mothers who can lead people into a faith of depth and complexity that's resilient and can confront the huge challenges facing the next generation. Think of all they're facing. Gender, sexuality, racism, justice, technology. We need you. So take Jesus' hand and let's journey through the wall together. Amen? Say amen loud if you agree, church. Let's pray together and let's do this. Let's all open our hands as a posture of letting go and surrendering to God. Abba, Father, we open our clenched fists to surrender everything you've given to us. And I pray for my precious brothers and sisters like Kristen and so many others who are facing a wall today. I ask now, in the name of Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit. Give us the patience and courage to let go of trying to control the situation and instead to quietly trust you and wait for you to provide as you did for Abraham. We proclaim that you are Jehovah Jireh and you are enough. We thank you for your only son, Jesus Christ the ram in the thicket, the lamb of God who died in my place to take away my sin and set me free. We give our lives to him. We receive your forgiveness, your freedom afresh today, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.